Hello, I'm Faisal Terry. Welcome to episode 20 of the Calibre podcast, brought to you by the Watchers of Switzerland group. Talking to Brian Duffy, CEO of the group, are two brothers, Nick and Giles English, discussing their company's fascinating history and products, British engineering and brainwell manufacturing. So hello everyone and, uh, and welcome out there to our listeners. Uh, delighted again that we have so many uh, listeners out there to our podcasts and so many uh, great comments we're getting back from all of you. Uh, this is our uh, latest podcast and delighted to be here and just to explain a bit of an absence uh, from me over the last couple of months and it's because our business actually has uh, recently been listed in the London Stock Exchange. It's all gone very well. Uh, Watch the Switzerland Group PLC now exists as of last week. But it certainly preoccupied my time, and uh, I've spent the last couple of months talking about balance sheets and market trends and all sorts of fascinating things, and, and occasionally about watches, but uh, with nothing like the enthusiasm that I'm sure we're going to talk about them today. Our podcasts have all had great uh, listening numbers overall, and it's because we have amazing guests, and it's nothing to do with my dulcet tones, I'm sure. And uh, today's no, no exception, because we have the founders of a, of a great British luxury watch brand, the Bremont brand, and uh, the founders of that are Nick and Giles English, and uh, welcome to you both. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having us here. Yeah, not uh, delighted and very much looking forward to our conversation. Uh, it's an amazing story how uh, your, your family and your dad and, uh, and your upbringing and how that led to you doing this very ambitious thing uh, of launching uh, a luxury watch brand in the, uh, here in the UK. Can you tell us about your story and your inspiration? Yeah, I mean, I think um, like so many of us, we're very much affected by what our parents do with us when we're younger and how we spend our time there. And, and Giles and I spent our whole time as kids in a workshop with our father, mm. tinkering with old motorbikes, old cars, planes we still fly. One of his passions were restoring clocks. And he is an incredible engineer, sort of PhD from Cambridge, aeronautics and... Um, just had this amazing brain, incredibly bright, but very good with his hands as well. And, um, and that was our upbringing. So our mother would go away and go to car boot sales and find old clocks and let Giles and I tinker with them and see if we could make them work, which invariably we never did. But it uh, kept us quiet for many hours. It's a great form of childcare. Um, and it was, uh, it was quite special, wasn't it? Yeah, and then our life changed massively in 1995. And I'd gone off to study engineering at university and Nick and Dad, one lovely sunny Saturday, were practicing for an air display in a World War II aircraft called a Harvard and uh, it all went horribly wrong and, and they crashed and Dad died instantly. Nick smashed over, what, 30 bones and... You could never tell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and many other areas. Big bang to the head, never quite recovered. But no, and then uh, Nick was in intense care for many months and came out of it and that was our sort of life-changing moment and we just felt this this you know we had this passion and you know you could be dead tomorrow let's go and do something and not regret it and we're also amazingly aware of this this amazing history of British watchmaking mm. that you know everyone taught Swiss made and Switzerland are obviously the the dominant factor but you know go back a hundred years and we were making half the world's watches and clocks out there um and there were no British watch companies selling on the high street at all. And that really was a, a big inspiration for us. And your, your dad's passion and everything. I, mean, I saw some old images of, of you together and it, it really looked wonderful. I have two sons 
and, uh, and I know the special bond that there is between father and son, but it's wonderful seeing those old images of you together in the workshop. Yeah, you, you looked a wonderful man. He, he really, he's, he's, he's quite eccentric in the sense that he spent you know, his life in the workshop. He yeah. built a sailing boat we went and lived on for you know, six months as kids. He built an aeroplane with steel fly and all that stuff. But what a wonderful upbringing. We were incredibly lucky. Yep, and then uh, really, uh, uh, really tragic what happened, but it led to your the inspiration ultimately for you creating this uh, this wonderful brand. Uh, I did another podcast with George Bamford. That, uh, wonderful that guy, yeah, yeah. yeah, good old George. Super, and uh, and listening to his background again, he, he describes how his fascination. He loved taking anything apart and, yes. and generally not putting it back together again. Quite so, a good background. So, yeah, <laughs> and uh, he talked about getting a Breitling for his uh, Christmas when I think he was very young, like 11 years old, taking it apart and uh, trying to put it back together oh, again. Yes. Yeah. I remember reflecting on how different our, our backgrounds were. I'd never got a Breitling at, at 11 years uh, of age for sure. <laughs> George, yeah. And if I had done and actually taken it apart, <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd have been in serious trouble. But um, but yeah, big, uh, big influences from uh, uh, from youth, uh, obviously, uh, and another amazing story. So, uh, despite the, the tragedy, you, your love of uh, vintage planes and, and so on, and then you were flying one uh, over France and uh, yeah. had, to, had to crash land. It sounds like uh, we're doing a lot of crashing here. So, um, <laughs> the first the first accident was very much based with my father. That was flying old airplanes dangerously low in formation and it was quite a dangerous type of flying so and that was when uh, yeah something went wrong with the airplane the the uh, the sort of the the precautionary landing you're referring to was a couple of years after um uh, our father's death we Giles got me back in the air again quite quickly and I was remember flying around with sort of arm in you know metal and all that sort of stuff and uh, we'd do these trips, and our father had this amazing ability when we were younger in our teens to just give us a huge amount of responsibility, which I still don't think I could do with my kids right now, but it would be Giles would be 16 years old, I'd be 18, or, and would say, Dad, we're off. Um, we had a little 1940s airplane, and we'd head off to wherever for three weeks, and you know, Eastern Europe, Spain, Denmark, wherever it was. We decided to look on the map, and it was a map, a compass, and a, um, and a watch. There was no GPS. I know we look very young, Brian, but uh, <laughs> back then in the sort of, you know, the 90s, uh, early 90s, there weren't really any, or late 80s, there weren't um, GPSs. So we'd head off, and uh, the only stipulation for our parents was make sure you call back once a week. And so off we'd go, and this is one trip we're on. This is actually a couple of years after our father's accident, and uh, we're flying in weather we probably shouldn't have been flying in, um, uh, to go and meet some friends down there in France. And we ended up having a precautionary landing in this pea field, in this old 1940s biplane. And if you'd done that in America or England, you sort of apologise to the farmer and have a cup of tea with them and take their wife for a flight. In, in France, it's very bureaucratic, and the airplane would get impounded. And we just, you could just see these sort of Euro signs appearing, oh my gosh, this is going to cost a fortune to get out of this mess. And we landed in this field, and this farmer came out to help us out. We ended up putting the airplane in his barn, and there we stayed for three days. And I think if our father had lived for another 30-odd years, this guy was, at the time, was in his late 70s, it was our father, really. I mean, he was yeah. a, a workshop full of bits that our father would have had. He flew gliders. He, he, yeah. you know, he, so we stayed and had a really good chat. And his name was Antoine Bremont, which obviously became 
uh, are quite important for us name-wise later on in life. Man, that's, a, that's amazing. Like, it sounds like you were directed there. In some so that ways, was Charles's navigation. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> be, before you had a wonderful watch to help you, of course. <laughs> uh, is he still around, Antoine? No, no. So, so he saw the first prototype watches. Um, but back in sort of, but he was 78 when we first met him, ah, right. so he was very, very yeah. old, but he just thought we're too mad Brits. And, yeah. and for us, because our, our surname's English, yeah. we could never put English on the watch. We didn't yeah. want to buy an old brand, so we could have gone and bought a brand like Harrison or Mudge or Tompion, one of the great yeah. British watchmakers. But we felt we could never be honest to who we were. How could we work with a Jaguar or a Martin Baker or Boeing or these amazing people yep. and yet be a, say we're a chronometer, ship's chronometer producer from yep. 1760. So we wanted to create a new brand and um, uh, the name Bremont, we, yeah, it meant something to us. It wasn't a homage to It kind of him. stuck, didn't it? Just yeah, it just sort of kind of stuck and... And it worked, and we could get the trademarks. So, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's, a, that's a lovely story, and a very poignant today in many ways with, with the D-Day landings I and know, everything. This that's, is the day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, you've got kids like uh, me. My kids are always saying that uh, the world's in such a mess today, and complaining about politics and complaining about the planet and so on. And I say to them, "Can you imagine being one of those eighteen-year-olds?" You know, been been sent off, or I was listening to the story of one that was sent out to identify all of the the mines. Eighteen year old, and the cover of uh, of darkness down there looking for mines oh, as a as a diver. Yeah, and, uh, what they went through, uh, or you know, sitting in London hearing the sirens go and having to leave your home, not knowing if it was going to be there uh, when you came back up again from uh, from the shelters and so on. I said that was the world in trouble. What what's happening today is um, you know not belittling it, but it's uh, nothing compared to you know obviously no. what, what our other generations went through. No, no, no. So, but the, then uh, the timing. When did you make the decision, that, and and how did you go about actually creating so, uh, your brand in the UK? Yeah, so that was um, about two thousand two. We finally made that decision to go and um, set up Brahma and commit our our lives to it, and we realised. You know, ultimately, you know, we set up with this state mission statement to play our part in the rebirth of British watchmaking. But we needed Switzerland to start off with. And we went over to Switzerland and we thought, oh, it'll be a couple of years. We'll go and um, find some great suppliers, work with some amazing people and build and up and a collection. And the worst thing we told our wives would be. It's yeah, which is a, which is a very dangerous thing to do. And we didn't want to get, go down the China route um, for getting their stuff made. So uh, five years later, we still hadn't sold a, a single watch or delivered a watch to the market. And then it was a further three years after that before we brought production back to the UK. And, and really that whole process, that, that extended period, we saw the market for watches was obviously going through the roof. But we needed to deliver a watch that the what hardcore watch journalists out there had to pick up and say, you know, I don't know who you are, Nick and Jars. I've never heard of Bremer before. You're not an old brand. But actually, for the price point, uh, it's a bloody good watch. It's, you know, your cases are seven times harder than your average steel watch. It's chronometer rated, nine layers of anti-reflective crystal, your movement quality, blah, blah, blah. It had to be very good, and it just takes a long time. But what you describe as a positioning is, is perfect, and it obviously it is what the British heritage of engineering is about. 
robustness and uh, functionality and, and your, your description of uh, British tested beyond endurance. Exactly. Um, this is working with Giles. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. But, uh, but a wonderful positioning and you, you waited until you had it absolutely right before you, you decided to commercialise. So we're now in 2007. So 2007 we finally launched um, and then it was not until about 2010 that we set up um, manufacturing in the UK. Um, and it's we've gone on from a long way since then. So I mean, how many people in Henley on Thames now? And Ruskin? there's probably 130 odd people. Yeah. But but it's more. Uh, there's two two main areas. So it's the you know the biggest problem we had is it's a great decision to bring um, all of your assembly design um, uh, manufacturing, but back to begin with back to the UK. But then where do you find watchmakers? Yeah. So it was. You know, you, you, we managed to find a, a, a number of watchmakers who are interested in working with a British brand and we're very, very lucky. And they probably have an average of 20, 30 years experience and we've got a, a good number of those. But then to assemble the watches and watch technicians and those that want to become watchmakers, we have our own apprentice scheme. That was the only way we can obviously supporting things like the British School of Watchmaking. Yeah. And um, that was really important. And then, you know, I say five, six, seven years ago, we ended up bringing um, a lot of the machining back. And that's the bit Charles and I get quite geeky about. And yeah. we talk about British engineering, but you have a you know, human hair is 50, 60 microns. And we're machining, I think we did 30 odd thousand parts last year. Um, and you're machining to three or four microns consistently. Um, so you have a you know, machine as big as this room making something which fits on your fingernail. And it, it's, uh, yeah. it, it's fascinating. But you get, there's so many good engineers in the UK. We're rubbish about talking about it, but you know, we found no shortage of incredible guys from medical, from Formula One, from arms, from all these different industries yep. um, coming back. So it's really exciting. And it was gradual. You started with assembly here and then eventually started working. Down exactly. To the so started with assembly yep. um, and, and all of our after sales is done internally. So that's where it started. Um, and then Giles and I, we, um, we had this sort of fund where we, uh, we, we used to dip into that sort of going to telling too many people and buying the odd machine and then proving the concept. It was very organic. Yep. Um, and now and it's got yeah, we're, we're buying machines that no one outside Switzerland have ever purchased before. Um, uh, big Levin Axis CNC machines that only a couple other British engineering companies own in the UK. And, uh, but they cost a lot of money. And, and if we were a German company, getting funding to build all these things would be a lot easier we can't, and uh, yeah, it, it's been a challenge. But how could we say we're a British watch company without doing this stuff in the UK? Yep, yep. but you know, I really admire the, uh, the ambition. I think most people would have said, you know, it, it's gone. It, when I, I totally get the point that there's great tradition here in watchmaking, but we're going back hundreds of years. Yeah. Well, you look at the innovation um, in the watch. Yeah. You look at yes. sort of you pick up any mechanical watch, probably 50, 60 percent of the innovation in that watch yeah. came from British designers yeah. in, the, in the past, so British yeah. watchmakers. Yeah. Um, both both distant past and recent with uh, guys like George Daniels. George yeah. Daniels, the more recent, yeah. Coaxel, and you know, amazing. So yeah. there is this history there, and, yeah. and you know, obviously the Swiss are, are masters, um, but we were masters as well, and yeah. it's about getting some of that back again. Yep, and, and ultimately your watches are subjected to the same quality testing as, uh, as the Swiss exactly. certification. In your stores yep. alongside 
Yeah, yeah. I guess the best and we chronometer yeah. test in in Switzerland. When I think last count, we're in the top ten chronometer producers in the world now. So yeah. that's because not everyone makes chronometer rated watches, but there's yep. something we're we're really proud of. Yep, yep. And uh, you know, some of the first chronometers were all tested in Q. Yeah. On the River Thames. Q test. Not yeah. that far away from where you are in Henley and Thames. And you. Yeah. yeah. And me in Richmond. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's something is guiding us all towards <laughs> uh, the River Thames as a centre for uh, for what we do. And you also have some facilities in in uh, Silverstone. Or so no, so we did. Um, yeah. And then about three years ago, we moved it all closer to Henley because we're in the process of building this new. 40,000 square foot um, facility just on the other side of Henley, which has been in the planning for three years. And I, I, I was in the train going past it today and all the steelworks going up. Um, and that will hopefully be our new home in um, July 2020. So we have to come to the launch blind for that. That would be lovely. Uh, I would, uh, I'd love to come. It looks lovely, even what I've seen so far, the old... Uh, um, the Henley is a little bit like Switzerland, I think, yeah. the countryside around it. Yeah. So, uh, M- missing the odd... Mountain peak, but yeah, yeah, um, not but, such um, as Hilton, the rolling hills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I lived in Switzerland for some years, yeah, uh, actually, and uh, and um, the, the natural beauty is uh, is wonderful. Um, but Henley is beautiful as well. It's in the the closest Thames. we can get. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the overall positioning when you decided then you, you had something that was working you had you'd launched your brand you had the positioning overall of, of robustness and you know uh, great uh, British engineering but then when you decided the range of product how did you go about that price point and the sort of nature of the aesthetic yeah I think the one the, the, uh, ultimately we have sort of uh, several core pillars of the brand um, British engineering um, as much as we could do in Britain that was key aviation and military so a whole dna of watches is we see aviation watches almost a category so you're not a sports watch and you're not a dress watch it's yeah. that sort of middle ground a classic style watch you could wear in the boardroom or up mount everest and and that was always that a key part and that led to aviation um uh, adventure which is our final pillar of the brand and and that started with the early ambassadors, Charlie Borman, Ewan McGregor, and going around the world on their motorbikes and yep. their grills and his early programs. That was about this sort of classic style watch you could properly go and wear. Um, so the, the sort of aviation theme has always been a, a, a core part. Um, and that's led to this, this MOD collection that we've just uh, released, which is literally out this week. And there's a broadsword uh, uh, watch in front of you. And, and really, that's we'd been ever since we started working uh, with the military, which is 2009, we yeah, yeah, started. Um, 20% of our business is just making for military around the world, and uh, um, something we're really proud of. And we started working, um, well, obviously, the MOD all those years ago. And, and uh, last year, they asked us, well, a few years back, asked us to actually come up with a commercially available collection and uh, we've, we launched the, the MOD collection um, and that's something yeah, with Her Majesty's Armed Forces and, and that really is a dedication to the, the lovely dirty dozen those watches from yeah. World War II um, there's 12 com- companies that made for the British forces so, so we've come out with three watches that sort of led from there but I think what Giles and I were 
when we started, we, we, we love watches. Dad collected watches. A bit like George, you know, tinker with them. I think we felt, um, and you probably said in the light, late 2000s, everything was getting rather oversized, quite blingy, quite fashion-orientated, yep. um, which we see a complete reverse now. Everything's going back to vintage and heritage, and, which is far prettier in our book. But we felt there was this um, definite place for a brand which was slightly more of a tool watch, um, yep. all about the engineering. And if you look at our cases, they're completely over-engineered. Um, but it's a big part of what the brand's about. And, and we, um, this is what excited us. And as Giles said, the, the design to go off and go you know, to extremes, which yep. you wouldn't necessarily do with every Swiss watch. Um, and there's some proprietary technology inside the watches, like the Martin Baker range, where the whole movement is suspended in a special suspension mount to go through all the shock testing of these ejection seat pioneers um, and, uh, and, and other bits there too. So, you know, shock, temperature, um, you know, salt fog. We went through all these tests over a number yeah. of years, environmental testing, and um, we're quite pleased with the, the end result, but it took a few years to get there. It is. And, and I, what I love is these military pilots. So, you know, they've got head-up GPS displays with, with time and everything. They don't need a mechanical watch. Um, but for them, it's it, it, it you know an F eight. We met an F eighteen pilot the other day who has a his F eighteen watch we made for them, and and he says, look, I'll, I'll fly an F eighteen for seven years of my life, and the rest of my life I'll spend talking about flying my F eighteen, mm-hmm. and this is this watch. I look at my wrist; it reminds me of it. I, I tell my grandchildren about it. It'll pass down as this family heirloom, and. Yep. Uh, you just don't get those sorts of things with many I'll tell you quite interesting, actually, and along the similar line is you don't need a mechanical watch necessarily, but all these military briefings now, you're not allowed to go into with a smartwatch. You're not, yeah. you're not allowed to, you've got to take all your phones and your smartwatches off because yeah. they're recording yeah. and listening they're devices. listening devices. So, so it's quite, there is actually a bit of a trend going back towards yeah. sort of analog you know, type type machinery, yeah. which I mean, is are we all have a wonderful affection for yeah. everything analog, don't we? we do. We're in the right place. Engineering <laughs> or music, or it is, yeah. yeah. I mean, because you've got a you know, passion for guitars like we do, don't you? Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a wee minute. <laughs> Once we've uh, talked about your wonderful watches, we have a few examples of your watches here. It would be good to me maybe talk through the uh, the ones that we have here. Yeah. So this is the. Um, our Jaguar range. Um, this is the Mark II, and uh, uh, it's a lovely relationship. We um, got asked to make some clocks for some of Jaguar's concept cars. So the first was a 6 um, 75, which was a car done for the last seen in the James Bond film, the Jaguar car. And uh, they wanted to make a mechanical clock in the dial, in the dashboard, that could be used as a desk clock as well. And we made that, and we did a couple of other clocks for them, the uh, Queen's Jaguar cars. We made this beautiful clock for the back of those. And it, we've been working with them and Ian Callum, the chief designer, for probably... 10 years. Yeah, it, for 10 years now. Night, 10 years, it's quite yeah. a long time. But, but it's probably four or five years into it. And uh, um, they were just making... Um, uh, a small number of lightweight E-types. This a rebirth. They never finished the final lightweight E-types they were going yeah. to build back in the uh, um, 60s. So they did, and they sold for considerable sums. Yeah. And they wanted us to make a watch for each one of those owners. 
And in those classic Jaguars, all the Smiths clocks, and we've always been slightly obsessed by Smiths, the last big British watch company that died off in the 60s. But um, the dials in those cars are pretty iconic, and we decided to come up with a a watch based on those dials, and um, we all loved it so much, and Jaguar said, look, can you go into production on those? And and we came up with three um, classic, the Mark I, Mark II, and Mark III Jaguar watches, and uh, um, we have one of these here, and if you turn on the back, you've got this lovely steering wheel based on the, um, uh, the, the, the rotor based on the original steering wheel on the Jaguar and um, uh, uh, designed off those, those original dials with the Heritage Jaguar logo. And uh, no, it's been a lovely partnership working with you. Yeah, oh, a perfect collaboration for you and your positioning. Uh, exactly. Uh, overall. But Ian uh, Callum, the designer we work with, he um, is a proper icon of British design. I mean, he came from... Originally, he was at Ford. Then he went to Aston Martin, where he designed the DB7, the DB9, and the, um, oh, right. the Vanquish. Then he came to... Um, uh, he's been 20 years at Jaguar, where obviously you look at the F-types and the way he took... He did all the XKs, right. XK8s and stuff. Did the, did the F-type. Um, and he sort of parted. He's, he's retired. He's 65 yesterday. Oh. Um, retired. And won over, I think it's 70 or 80 awards for the new I-Pace best car of the year so completely electric first ever full electric car which is capable of the sort of performance it does I mean it's an amazing career and, and he's still going and then yeah. he's wants to go off and do some sort of fun pet projects so I think with all these partnerships a lot of it's about longevity and working with nice people isn't it yeah um, and people that you share the same well that's exactly it. life is so short yeah. you you want to work with people you like don't you yeah. and, and and if they uh uh, if if it's too hard work, you you just don't. Want yeah, to well, it doesn't turn out well if it's no. too hard work. If it, if it's all forced, uh, one of uh, the E types are a, a big influence, which is one of my dreams too. I've uh, I've never got to an E type, but I just love our, the the lines but of you, the E type. You can't get better than that, can no. you? I've got an XGS. I've got an old XGS. Oh, have you? There, I sold now. Yeah, I bought it new actually, nineteen uh, ninety three. And, and you kept it the whole. I still got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's very cool. Now. It's only done. It's done less than forty thousand miles. Um, it was very much the. Uh, it's a soft top. You know, They're coming back. Yeah, quite. Yeah, I keep telling my wife it will. She's, she's actually. <laughs> she managed to convince me to take it off the road because all I was doing is buying new batteries for it. You know, every, yeah. uh, every couple of months and hardly ever driving it. But it's coming back out sometime soon. It still looks beautiful. Still You've looks, got to uh, use it. Yeah. Those, those cars need yeah. to be used. Yeah. Probably wasn't the most famous period for Jaguar in terms of... Uh, no, but they are coming back. Yeah. Sorry, that period is coming back. Oh, yeah. it's, it's I'm always, do you remember The Saint? Of yeah, course. Uh, with, yeah. with that. Simon Temple. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the white Jag. It was very cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he said we all wanted to be back then. Yeah, yeah I yes. think, yeah. It was Bond of the Year. Yep. Um, and uh, in addition to aviation, uh, in addition to your, your collaborations that you're doing, you got some you get some great divers watches now too. Yeah, yeah. I think um, when we well, there's uh, again the, the military connection here, but we have a range called the Supermarine. Yeah. Um, which actually is you know someone go down to two thousand meters, so you have got this enormous pressure tester back in Henley, which yeah. does sixty or so watches or hundred watches at one time, taking them down to two thousand. We just keep waiting for this thing to explode, don't we? As you see, you ramp it up. Takes um, out your whole office. But, but it's, they are designed, and, and they're quite interesting because they have the same technology as the Martin Baker range inside yep. with this. So they're very, very, very robust. So if we have any adventurer we know is going off to do some 
mega extreme stuff like uh, Nims at the moment. Nims is a yeah. an ex Gurkha SXPS. He's I off. Saw that he's gone up all the peaks. Yeah. yeah, he took that famous photo of the queue on Everest the other day. Oh, um, right. So that was him, but he's doing the record for the fourteen eight thousand meter peaks in the world. Yeah. Stands at eight years. Yeah. He's done six in about six weeks. Yeah. And he's going to try and do them all in seven months. Yeah. Um, we spoke to a, um, an ex-SBS guy who climbed Everest the other day um, with NIMS, came down and he said, I'm completely exhausted, I can't do anything else for yeah. months. NIMS the next day did another 8,000 peak. Yeah. Um, he did three in three days. Um, yeah. th- he's he just physically gifted. He's just, yeah. I think it's a bit of the Gurkha blood as well. I think yeah. it must help. Um, so it's, uh, but, but, but you give a watch like that to him and yeah. You do everything from, you know, Navy clearance divers. A lot of the SF community use these watches. They're, they're, they're strong, strong things. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. And yeah, I see you've got a supersonic in front of you there as yes. well. Which, Tell us about that. Yeah, that's um, every year or so we come up with um, a limited edition watch, a very special limited edition watch. And it, it all started originally in, was it 2007 we did the EP? Eight. 2008. We did, we, we, Nick and I were with a great friend of my dad's who... Our dad. Uh, yeah, our dad. My dad, definitely my dad. I have no idea who your dad was. But um, <laughs> we, we had this lovely lo- 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 friend of my dad who owns a very large collection of historical aircraft. And he was restoring a very famous Spitfire called EP120. And he, um, he uh, had, oops, we were with him and he had a bit of aluminium from the wing of that, that Spitfire. And he said, do you realise on this day... Uh, a 19-year-old uh, kid in 1940 was flying this over Germany. And it just is really poignant holding this bit of metal. And we looked in the clock of the Spitfire, and there's this lovely old Smith's clock. And, we, and this light bulb moment went off and said, look, why don't we make 120 watches with parts of this metal in and call the watch EP120, the Spitfire watch. And we did, and uh, it sold instantly. And if you want to buy one of those watches now, it's probably four or five times the original price. And, and this progressed and we worked with them, things like um, with the Royal Navy. On, we did an HMS Victory watch with parts of oak and copper from Nelson's flagship to raise funds for the restoration of the They all uh, have a charitable ship. Uh, Bletchley Park, we did the Codebreaker. And, and this Supersonic, we've worked with British Airways for the uh, 50th anniversary of the Concorde. Yep. And they and gave and us... their 100th. Yeah, and their 100th. And they've given us parts of... Uh, Golf Bravo, Oscar Alpha Bravo, the um, one of the last Concords to fly, the one that still sits at uh, Heathrow, and uh, that metal is in the back of the watch. And yep. unique movement, eight-day manual power reserve. So it's it's creating these unique pieces that it's more than just a watch. It's it's yep. it's a history piece. Yep. No. Did you fly Concorde? Are you guys too young? Oh, yeah. Too young. Did yeah. you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're still very young. So, yeah. so, 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 so very pretentious. So I was commuting on it for a while. Were you <laughs> what? Oh. I, I was, was based in the states, and then uh, I was coming back to take up a position here in the UK, and, and I managed to do the deal to say, I'm going to be exhausted, whatever. So I managed to do the deal to say that I could fly by Concorde. And back what was and it like? So. I, I mean, it, it was wonderful from a convenience standpoint. It was wonderful to know you were sitting in this beautiful leather seat in this very narrow fuselage. In terms of comfort, you probably it wasn't it wasn't like travelling in no. first class or even business class. 
uh, you really were pretty much crammed in, but it was for so short a time, it really didn't matter. Yes. Then you had other nice elements of it, you used to get your luggage off first and all that sort of thing and have it there in a big plastic cover when you got there. So uh, they, they treated their guests, with, and inevitably, you know, there was people on the plane that you were... Back then, we didn't have the cameras to take photogra- photographs of them indiscreetly. Yeah, they're the rock stars. Yeah, they? yeah. yeah. And, uh, they always are wonderful. It's so no, sad, miss, actually, that it... Uh, I think you retired in our, we were in our early 20s, and I just, yeah. you, don't, you just don't have the but cash I mean, just, to do it. But mechanically, it's just in such unique aircraft. Yeah. Whether we'll ever get supersonic passenger flights again yeah. is, is highly done. Yeah. It's amazing to think technology that's that old was so advanced. Yeah. Know, and uh, and even landing in the moon, it was all happening yes. in the 60s. Yeah, I know, I know. And we, we don't seem as capable of it now. But, uh, but a wonderful story about uh, about this supersonic watch. And uh, the other ones that we have here? So that, that one there is uh, ZT-51, which is... Um, so again, that actually, the origins of that were with another limited edition we did, which... Um, it was called the P-51, and it was uh, a very, again, a American, very iconic aircraft. And we did limited there, and it was this, it's probably the most sought-after watch we've ever done. Um, but they only made 251 of them many, many years, 10 years ago. And this is a kind of homage to that. So it has that lovely, we, we came up with this um, unique vintage loom for us. You know, we mixed the Pantones, we came up with this vintage loom, which um, was quite retro. And this was, again, 10 years ago. Um, and this was uh, a watch we could stick into our range um, yep. called the ZT-51 yep. based on a, a sort of military pilot's chronograph um, but it just sort of catches people's imagination and it's a very clear dial and, yep. uh, and it's a female case and it's got this lovely rotor click bezel so if you turn the crown on the side you have this lovely clicking clicking feel for um, uh, yeah, 8 o'clock 8 o'clock and then you get this sort of lovely click, which you've got four ball bearings in there. It's very hard to uh, yeah, that produce. Oh, yeah. so you have that sort yeah. of uh, lovely, very, very, very small tolerances inside yeah. the case. And this yeah. is the yeah. this is the blue one, which we did um, exclusively for Watch of Switzerland. So yeah, this is a limited edition which we did in celebration with working with you guys over the years. Yeah, thank um, you for that. It's sold very well, uh, both here and the uh, under the US. Which is very. Uh, so, I mean. Uh, in the US, uh, yes. doing that. I, went, I was lucky enough to go, obviously I've been a couple of times now, but Hudson Yard and Soho, yep. incredible stores. Yeah, we're thrilled with them. We've, you know, we've got 23 stores now in the US. Yes. Um, we've been there, only been there 18 months, but um, through acquisition in Florida and in Vegas, but then the two big adventures were, uh, were New York with uh, these, these two stores, and we're, uh, we're thrilled with them. Oh, and the, I love your bar downstairs. Yeah, yeah. Every man's dream. Apparently, you're seen at it quite regularly. Uh, not as regularly <laughs> as, it, as I'd like to be, but uh, people are walking by the watches just to get to the bar, which wasn't really the plan. But, uh, uh, but I think it's a perfect example of what you should be doing in Soho and what you should be doing with watches. Yeah. Our, our whole ethos is sit down come and in chat and, to them. Yeah, about people. Yeah, yeah, let's let's enjoy the watches together and talk about them and. We find as we do that, you know, we uh, we get great clients and clients that trust us and, and vice versa. So uh, delighted to be in Soho and delighted to have you guys as uh, as part of it. No, and I, I, you, I watch the Swiss and I think your staff and your, your ethos is you do care about your clients. And it's incredibly important for us because you are representing Bremont and, and out there you want the best client service and people are spending a lot of money on these watches and they need to feel cared, they need to feel looked after, that customer service is paramount, and uh, 
No, it's been lovely working with you guys over the years for that. Oh, well, thank Passion you. Passionate staff. Passionate yeah, staff. Very, uh, very proud to represent you. And uh, the long-term vision, where, where do you take um, this? Well, I think the, the big thing for, for us, and it's been... Retirement for me. Well, yeah, <laughs> not far. No, um, fortunately, that's a long way off. Um, we've been working for four years on this in-house movement, um, yeah. this British-made movement, um, with uh, Stephen McDonald designing it. So Stephen's an incredible guy, um, Northern Irish, um, taking watches apart from the age of four, read theology at Oxford, went off, uh, professor at Wastep, did the one big awards at Geneva for the perpetual from MBNF and worked with Christoph Clarion, just incredible designer. Came back to the UK and the last four years of his life sort of been dedicating it to, um, to this movement for us, um, which we're so, so lucky to have. And it's a series of movements, but the first one, we're prototyping as we speak, with a lot of the parts being made in the UK, um, which is very, very, very exciting. So that is something which, um, again, we've been wanting to do for a long time. It's becoming cl- that much closer to, so, to reality. And I think that combined with this new facility in Henley, which we're, we're also building, which is sort of 30, 40,000 square feet of proper watchmaking workshop and hopefully be a centre where people can come and really experience and see watches being put together. So it's, it's sort of a, a bit of a dream that we've been thinking, you know, and working towards. The, cha- the challenge with running a watch company is you're, we're, we're a very, very high-tech engineering business, but we're also having to build a brand and build a brand around the world because people won't buy a watch unless they've seen the brand, read about it, uh, um, seen film stars wearing all that sort of element of it. But you can never forget, we're actually a very high-tech engineering business and, and it's incredibly challenging. You're juggling both and you're having to do it globally as well. So um, it, it's not an easy business to be in, as you know. Yeah, I don't have all of the headaches that you. We just get the pleasure of presenting these wonderful watches to clients that are uh, that are very interested in them. But I really think it's amazing what you've done, um, and uh, so ambitious. Uh, you, you'd have said it was impossible, but uh, but you've you've managed it, and uh, you have a great range of product. You've great awareness of the brand, uh, very true to your sort of inspiration of everything you're doing. I think authenticity really comes through, and everything. Clearly, it was a passion that inspired you to do it in the first place, and. Uh, the tragedy that we talked about earlier and uh, the memory of your father, but everything you everything you're doing has got an authenticity uh, about it that really comes through in the product. And, uh, and congratulations, guys! You do you do an amazing job, and thank you very much for joining me today. Ryan, thank you very much. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. All. Thank you.